you can see once those lights come on. My name is Shane Shaw. I'm one of the elders here at Hannaford. I'm filling in for, actually, I'm filling in for Tim Altschwager, who was supposed to speak this morning, who, and he's filling, he was going to fill in for John, who's home today, um, recovering from surgery on his knee. So you're stuck with me. Do you connect with God in church or anywhere else? That's the question I have for you this morning. Can you put that first picture up? So, John, if you're watching online, I hope you're kind of sitting like this. Now, this is my grandson, and my son-in-law took that last Sunday. He was watching cartoons on the couch. This was, he didn't get posed. He, he uh, laid down like that on his own. Um, I just thought it'd be cool for once in my life to show off a picture of one of my grandkids. Um, so his name is Levi, Levi Shane. He's 18 months old, and he's quite a character. And as you might imagine, for my wife and I, he is one of the most important things as part of our family. And, uh, you know, he seems to like me, so he's on the right track. Across the top of our bulletin or our program today, and by the way, before I move on, John, I believe, is doing quite well. Um, I suppose that unless somebody actually stopped him, he would have tried to get up here this morning, but uh, he, he really guards the pulpit in this church. Uh, I appreciate that a lot. Um, I also like the chance to speak once in a while. So you're stuck with me today. Tim's back was bothering him too much to to get up here, so uh, he helped me work on this sermon. So the bad parts are Tim Altschweiger's fault. <laughs> Tim's not in this service, he's in the first one. So on our bulletin, or our program, or whatever you want to call this, you'll see across the top, you see Hannaford Street Bible Church, and right underneath there it says, connecting people with God and each other. And that's one of the goals we have as an elder board, is that when people come to church, we either spur you on to seek God, we create an atmosphere where you connect with God here, or we give you the tools and the encouragement to do that. Now, people connect with God in different ways. Uh, you know, I know some people are like this, you know, and they really worship through music, and there's some people who aren't. And that's okay. We don't pass judgment one way or the other. Some people bless us by not singing. Um, <laughs> But I don't, I, I think we make a mistake, and I, I have to confess some uh, evangelical churches may feel that way. They judge people because they sit there during the worship service. But, you know, I was pointing out the first service that some guys and some women enjoy, connect with God through nature. And a couple of the guys in the first service, I don't know if there's any in the second service, they have nice fishing boats and they fish a lot. And so I was encouraging their wives to let them worship more. <laughs> um, another thing you see on the front of this is it says, worship led by Pastor Josh Dickey, who's our worship pastor. So at church here, we put a lot of emphasis on connecting with God. And before this week, a couple weeks ago, I told Josh this is what I was going to talk about. And I wanted him to take the opportunity to explain part of what he does. Because he, he takes up 
half the service sometimes, sometimes more. Sometimes he does it so I don't get to talk as long. No, that's not true. But he loves music, and he told me he worships when he sings. But his ministry is to bring your spirit, your heart, you into a place where you worship God and where your heart is ready to listen to the Word of God. And that's an important part of this. Some of us come, in fact, most of us at one point or another have come to church and we're distant from God. And sometimes we just kind of keep putting one foot in front of the other. And we know we show up at church and maybe some things will get straightened out. Maybe it's here we'll connect with God. So I want to talk about that this morning, the idea of connecting with God. And we're going to look at Psalm 25 this morning. But what does that mean, connecting with God? And I, I wrote some things down, just my own thoughts on this. I think our goal is to create the atmosphere where people's hearts can open to the work of God's Spirit in their lives, where a hunger is created to know God more, where the collective power of the Spirit of God brings joy to your lives. And there is a benefit in corporate worship where God's Spirit is here in many of us, or all of us, hopefully all of us. And the collective power of that fellowship has a tremendous influence on your spiritual condition. And to help each of us, you and me, to hear the revelation of the Almighty God found in the Word of God, His book. And so our music time is also designed to, to put you in a place where you're going to open your heart to the Word of God. We want you to connect with God. Now, young people here today, and I view anyone under 30 as very young. If you're under 40, you're pretty young. I'm 61. People still say I'm young. I appreciate that, but I know better. But one of the concerns we have is that we have a lot of young people who grow up coming to church, they go to Awana, they come to the youth group, and then they graduate from high school, they go to college, we don't see them for 10 years. It's as if this isn't important in their lives. And if you're a young person today, young person, okay, even young like five years old, you, like you, exactly. I was thinking of you. I just wasn't sure I wanted to put you on the spot. Yeah, there you go. But some of the th most important things I learned about God and Christianity, I already knew by that young man's age because it was pounded into me. And if you're going to teach your kids, you don't let them learn by accident. You teach them. You put it in front of them. You model it in front of them. But I think sometimes we make the mistake of not showing the value of connecting with God, not showing the value of relationship with God to young people. And I'm not saying we're trying to compete with, or compete with whatever goes on Friday night at some nightclub, okay? Because the excitement of that, and most of us here have been there at one time or another, that's not what life is really about. That's a few moments in time. And I have been there myself, and I've met a lot of lonely people that were at a nightclub. So we want to show the value of connecting with God and how it can enhance your spiritual life. <coughs> now you think about this. Surely there's more to the life and death of Jesus Christ 
than just that he paid for our sins at the cross, no matter how crucial and important that is. And it is crucial, okay? But when you think about that event, when he was nailed to the cross, when he went there obediently to take our place, that the reason behind it was he valued a relationship with us. God values relationship with man. Otherwise, why would he have done it? I mean, why would he have died for a bunch of rebellious sinners like us? Unless that relationship matters. So, when you, when you sit back and you think about this, you have to ask yourself, how do I connect with God best? You know, um, some do connect directly with music. And the music was great this morning. Um, I was watching this young kid here play the guitar. He's a pretty talented kid, isn't he? I, I, I'll tell you that we've had a lot of young people get up here and be in our worship team. And some of them have gone on and they're no longer involved in church at all. And I, I hope that we create the atmosphere for them that they value being part of leading worship in a church enough they do it for the rest of their lives. So reaching out to young people is very important to me. And it's to our elder board that we connect with them and our church models what it's like to connect with God in a way that you're satisfied and joyous in your life. Well, you know, how do you feel closest to God? Well, some of you might say, well, I feel closest to God in nature. That may be true. But you shouldn't neglect fellowship. Remember, that's the second thing in there in the, on the front of the bullet. Collect, connecting to God and to each other, okay? Some serving. They do things for other people. You know, you never realize how acts of service might impact someone. It's been 23 years ago now, 22 years ago, I built a garage and I poured a concrete pad. And, you know, I remember some of the people that came that day and helped me with it. And I never forgot that. One of them's sitting right there, Bill. I know he came, took his own time and helped me. And there's other guys who were in the first service that helped me with that. You can connect with God and with other people by acts of service. Some, that's how they do it. They're servers. Some in their prayer closet. And I think everybody needs to learn how to connect with God in their private moments away from everybody else when they are trying to work through whatever it is that's on their heart. Some it's intellectual studies or conversations. Some while singing. Some through adoration and praise. Some through sharing their faith or fellowship is where they connect with God the most. That doesn't mean it's the only way, but it's one of those ways. So I guess what I'm telling you is that at this church, we believe that connecting with God is one of our missions. It's one of the things we hope to help you with. And we hope that you find value in your personal relationship with God. So let's look at Psalms 25 this morning. This is where we're going to start. Psalms 25. And... Um, this is an acrostic psalm. If you're into intellectual study of the Bible, this psalm, every verse starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, you know, like A, B, C. And there's different reasons they did that. One is because it was easier to memorize. Two, it's because it had poetic beauty. And there are a number of uh, these acrostic 
Psalms, in the, in the book of Psalms, not only 25, but 9, 10, 25, 34, 37, 111, 112, 119, and 145. And they're written in ways where there's things are organized according to the alphabet or according to a, a set of, of things that they laid out, and it makes it easier to memorize. I mean, I learned the books of the Bible by singing a song. I learned the 12 disciples by singing a song. I learned a lot of things by singing a song about this. And the Psalms are basically the hymnal of the Jews. And this particular Psalm is interesting in that it's almost a complete acrostic, but it doesn't follow the pattern all the way through. And so if you want to go read uh, up on this, there's all kinds of information out there. Um, I, I don't have this passage mastered at all. But, you know, you look at the way this, song, this psalm starts, Psalm 25.1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Now, Josh talked about that old worship song that he had at the end that to him was a little bit old. Well, if you're my vintage and you went to youth group or church camp, you remember the start of this psalm. You know, it was started like, Unto thee, O Lord, and people would echo, Do I lift up my soul? And there's about five verses that you'd sing out of this psalm. And so as I was preparing for this sermon, that old song just kept rolling through my brain. And I have not even come close to capturing all that's here. For example, what does it mean to lift up your soul? Or this word ashamed, okay? Let me not be ashamed. Well, as I learned and I learned after the first service from some of our experts, um, we have some very well-trained people in our congregation, the concept of shame in that culture was as a compared to honor. So if you were a Muslim, you grew up in a Muslim family, and you converted to Christianity, you would understand this concept. I'm trusting in you, God. Don't let me be ashamed. Honor my commitment here. Okay? And so I read everything I could on this, and there was a bunch of different uh, interpretations and understanding of this. But basically... It's, he's saying, look, I've put my faith in you. Don't let me down. Don't put me in a place where I regret it. Don't put me in a place where the honor of my family is destroyed because I trusted in you. The next section. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. As I studied for this sermon, I watched some different things. You know, you can go to YouTube and put in Psalm 25. And you'll find that version of that hymn I just sang the first two lines of, multiple of those and different renditions of it. But you'll also find sermon after sermon and talk after talk about Psalm 25. And there's ones about different sections of it, four and five. Show me your ways, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth. I mean, there's a whole sermon on that. And if we were to teach through this verse by verse, we would have to do that. We would have to break each of those down. Well, I'm not going to do that today. 
I'm going to go through this briefly, and then I just have a few ideas about connecting with God. The next one, remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from old. But don't remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Don't remember what I did in the past, especially when I was a youth. Don't remember that, God, like he's going to forget, right? So, but actually the whole idea is, God, I want you to see me through your eyes of mercy, not through the eyes of judgment. We don't want, I don't want to be seen through your justice. I want to be seen through your loving kindness. You get the idea? God, please see me as though I never did these things. Isn't that what he promised? Isn't that the idea of forgiveness? As far as the east is from the west, so I have removed your sins from me. That's what he promised. Well, this is what David is worried about here. So he says this. Hey, I want you to see me this way, not this way. The sins of my youth, our arrogance, our impulsiveness, our lack of respect, our absolute selfishness, and on and on. I mean, these are sins of youth. Sometimes they're the sins of adulthood, too. Then you go on. Nor my transgressions, the things I did later. And, and then he, he moves on in this psalm and goes to this idea. Good and upright is the Lord. He's still thinking about, one, I don't want God to see me as I am. I want God to see me as he is. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice. The humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Now you see a pattern in there. Humble, sinners, mercy, forget what I did, don't remember it. To, to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. First 11 verses, he talks about sin again there later and how great God is if you follow through on the psalm. But we're just going to look at these first 11 verses. Now, there's some big words in there. Um, and if you went through it, you might look at these words later like trust or ashamed or waits or show or teach or lead or wait, remember, don't remember, sins of my youth, good, and so on. So if you were to study this passage in depth, you'd underline those words and you'd ask yourself, what does that mean? Okay? Now, who wrote this? David. Now, David was the king of Israel. Now, not only was he qualified to be king, he was anointed by God. He was a leader. He was a natural leader. People were drawn to him. He was a warrior. He was a great leader in battle. Men followed him. Men wanted to be like him. Men wanted to be with him. He was a person who had great leadership skill, and God appointed him to be king. Now, David was an attractive guy, like a movie star or a great athlete. He was a musician. Maybe he would have been a rock star in today. You never know what, what that guy could have accomplished. But God called him to be the king of Israel. And he worshipped God through music, among other things. You know, connecting with God was important to David, vital to his life. Now, David, he lived a long time ago, but I guarantee you, that if he was around today, 
He would be someone that you would be drawn to. You would be impressed with. You would want to hang out with. You would want to emulate. And yet you think about all the things that he did wrong. There were a lot of them. In fact, his, his mistakes are written down in the records of the history of the nation of Israel so everyone gets to see them. If, as for young people, David was the cool, would have been the cool kid in school, the most popular one, the one that all the girls were drawn to. Played a harp. Probably would have played a guitar today. That's who David was. And that's who wrote this psalm. And he says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Now, to me, that's the essence of worship. Now, I'd wonder this morning if you're here and you have no desire to connect with God on any level, you should ask yourself why. After all, God values a relationship with you so much that he died for it, that he came to earth, went to the cross, and died for that relationship. Is there more to your life than just biology? What gives your life any significance at all if God doesn't value a relationship with you? You should value that relationship back. The other second thing, if you're here today and you say, I want to be a Christian, I believe I am a Christian, I want to have this abundant life that Jesus promised, I want to have the joy the Bible promises, but God seems distant and I don't feel like I am connected to God in any meaningful way. It's my hope you can take the opening lines of Psalm 25 and make them your own. Start there. Lift up your soul to God. What does it mean, lift up my soul? You know, each of us have different parts of our inner man that makes us who we are, makes us unique, part of this inner person. It's the part we guard. Nobody gets to know. We have deep secrets, desires, fears that we keep tucked away. Some of these things we wrestle with, <coughs> we're ashamed of, we fear, we cannot control very well. All of this is part of who we are, our person, our soul. Our soul is eternal, created to glorify God. So if you want to be all that you can be, you need to be connected to God. That's the implication there. Now when it comes to this idea, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul, the writer of the pulpit commentary wrote this. The Hebrew phrase does not mean a temporary raising of the heart to God, where you just show up and you say, thank you, Jesus, and you walk away. It's a permanent setting of your affections on him. In other words, true worship in this context is not merely a weekly drive-by or a survey of Christianity. Paul wrote this in Colossians 3, If you then were risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, and King James says, set your affections on things above. It may say mind on that. There's one uh, translation that says affections, and I like that word. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when you offer up your soul, it's an act of the will where you set your affections on the person the work, the promises, and your relationship with Jesus Christ. You put them center. 
To lift up your soul then is to surrender our own agenda to his, effectively training our hearts to let God be at our center. Let me say that again. Effectively training our hearts to let God be at our center. Now, I'd love to stand up here today and tell you I have this master. God is at the center of my heart every day, every moment. It's not true. In fact, more often than not, Shane's in control. Shane's at the center. Shane's plans are at the center, and I fail miserably at this. In fact, some of the stuff in this sermon today is so convicting to me as I look at what it means to connect with God. You know, some of the ideas that I'm going to talk about for the next few minutes seem pretty elementary, pretty fundamental, pretty basic, things that you've heard before. It's true. There's a list in the program, the bulletin on the page. There's like five things with one word missing. and You can keep track of where we're going here if you want and fill those lines in. When I was a, when I was a senior in high school, I, well, I was a wrestler in high school, I didn't really fit the image of a basketball player, and so I wrestled. And I was a pretty good wrestler. In fact, I was a state champion, state of Montana. And I have this letter at home from the Montana State Bobcats. Still have the letter saying, Dear Shane, congratulations on being a state champion. It goes on and says, We'd like you to become part of the Montana State University Bobcat wrestling team. Now, I never did that, but... That's another story. But the fact is, is that I did wrestle collegiately. And when I got to college, guess what I found out? I really wasn't a very good wrestler. Now, I won more than I lost, but I didn't wrestle very many really good wrestlers. And the thing I found out most about wrestling was that in order to advance and become competitive at the next level collegiately, the better I had to be at the most fundamental things in the sport. In other words, getting in the the best position. You know, like in wrestling, you have a stance. Well, if you stand on your heels, you're going over backwards. You can't move. So how you stand on your feet, how you protect your core, because this is where you get attacked in wrestling is right here. And you had to learn the fundamentals of that sport by repetition over and over and over. And ultimately, I discovered that I had neither the athletic skill or the drive or the fundamental base to become great. I was pretty good. And I want to take that idea, the fundamentals of wrestling, into the fundamentals of Christianity because they're the same thing. And the fact is, is the secret to connecting with God, the secret to success in the Christian life is doing the simple fundamental things better and better and better. So let's just look at a few things here. In this Psalm 25, one of the things you see shows up, and it shows up through that entire psalm, is David's very concerned about his standing before God because of his own conduct. Because of his own conduct. Verse 2, let me not be ashamed. Verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth. Verse 7, don't remember my transgressions. See me through your steadfast love. Verse 11, pardon my iniquity. you have to come to the place where you realize, and this is the first one on, in that list in your bulletin, to connect with God, you must deal with the sin of, in your life. You have to. 
If, you're, if your relationship has issues, if you don't feel connected with God, start there. Think about the problems in your character. You know, when we think about the cost of sin, if you, if you were to turn back to Psalm 22, you'll see that same phrase, my God. Psalm 22 it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet you go to the story of Jesus on the cross. And what did he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the sins of the whole world were poured on the Son. What did it cost? What is the cost of sin? You think about this, this little word shame. Let me not be ashamed. Yet Philippians says that Jesus was obedient even to death on the cross. He endured the cross, despised the shame. In their culture, shame was a horrible thing. It was at the center of everything. And yet, to connect with God, if you don't see sin as a problem in your life, you're always going to have that roadblock. Because sin reflects a rebellious heart. It causes a broken relationship between you and God. Yes, Jesus died for your sins. Yes, forgiveness is available. But the problem is, is you, there's a separation. Your fellowship is broken. You have to deal with sin in your life. It can result in the removal of God's blessings. We don't want to hear about that. The sin in our own life, destroying God's effort at blessing our life. And lastly, it becomes a source of personal doubt. Weakened faith. If you have doubts about your faith, what about your conduct? What's in your heart? What haven't you confessed? What about your actions? What about your attitudes? You need to deal with the sin in your life. I have to deal with the sin in my life. I'm not standing up here saying that I have this mastered. I don't. I fail a lot. And when I see myself adrift, a lot of times I have to go right back to here. And so did David man after God's own heart. You know what made him a man after God's own heart? He, had, he was such a great repenter. He fell on his face and said, God, forgive me, I'm wrong. Against you and you only have I sinned. David repented. Well, there's a second one here. To connect with God, you must open your heart and admit your fear. Look at this, verse 2. Let me not be ashamed. Don't let my faith in you fail me. Don't let my enemies conquer me. Don't let me fail. Don't let me be shamed by waiting for you to come through for me. That's hard for us to learn to wait. Don't let the treacherous get away with their conduct. Don't withhold your forgiveness. See me through your love and mercy. And we, we struggle with these things. Our fear. God, you're not going to forgive me. God, I'm not going to get in. God, you're not going to get let me into heaven because you can't forgive what I've done. So, with this idea, you must open your heart and admit your fear. And here it is. Be vulnerable in front of God. David was. Get rid of your self-sufficiency. Like you're going to do it yourself. You're going to pull yourself by your, up by your own bootstraps. One of the reasons we want you to come to church is so you can be with other people who also are sinners in need of a Savior. Be honest with God. Lay out the real concerns in your heart. I mean, this is the essence of prayer. What am I afraid of? What am I concerned about? Are you going to let me down, God? I'm worried I'm, I'm losing my faith. Here's how we pray. Admit that waiting is hard. You know, I'm one of those guys, and I can talk a good game about faith, but I call it myself sometimes visa card faith. God, I trust you to provide, but just in case, 
I got Visa right with me. Visa card faith. God says to wait. Sometimes it's hard. And last one, own your fears about forgiveness and God's character. God, I'll never measure up to you, so I'm not going to try. Well, God is about changing the human heart. The next one, you must spend time in the Word of God. Commit it to memory. And you see these verses in 4 and 5, lead me in your truth, show me your paths. You know, Psalm 119 says, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart I have sought you, O let me not wander from your commandments. This is 9, 10, and 11 of Psalm 119. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. <coughs> Psalm 119, 105, this verse was on a big sign at the on the front of the church I grew up in. And this, this psalm said, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, in our church here, we're rich. We have so many resources available to us. Uh, there's people here with all kinds of education. Andrew, who's going to speak next week. Andrew Hardiman, he's graduated from seminary. Galen Dowdy, who maybe is going to speak the week after that who has shared numerous times. He, he's a retired pastor. He's written Bible commentaries. Tim Alschweiger, who helped me with this, so did Galen. He taught theology in a Bible college for 30 years. Uh, Dick Crosby, who was a pastor here for many years and attends here, Dr. Crosby, someone you could go to for his education on Scripture. Um, and, that, and that doesn't even begin to talk about our pastoral staff. These are people that are just attend here um, you know, John, John went to seminary, graduated from seminary. Jezzer's a graduate of Bible college. Um, we have tremendous resources to learn the Word of God, but you need to invest in it. If you have questions, ask them. I do. I got a lot of education about this, even between services. Sometimes you have to admit, well, maybe I messed that up, but, um, you know, it's a little intimidating sometimes to get up front and speak with these guys sitting there. So they, I think they all were in the first service, so I'm, I'm free, okay? The next one in this line, meditate on the goodness of God. And you see this in verse 8 and following. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. To such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Focus on the goodness of God. Now, you know, it's been about 15, 17 years ago my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer. And lung cancer is terminal. They really don't have a lot of cures for it. Some, they've had some success with treatment lately, but in 2005, there wasn't any. And th through that, my response to it was not good. I was mad at God. I was, uh, felt God had let me down. I thought it was unfair. I couldn't see how a good God could let a disease destroy a man that had been faithful to him. And my dad was a rancher. He was a working man. He was faithful at church. He read the Bible to us and in front of us. He taught Sunday school, all these things. And yet here he was, reduced to nothing. And I had a hard time dealing with that. How could you find glory in that God? How could that be, how could a good God allow that? And I suspect there are many here in the service this morning that have wrestled with those same thoughts. How could a good God do that? 
And I don't have all the answers. I never ever got an answer to my question. Sometimes suffering happens and none of us are immune from it. Well, the, per the reason that we want to connect with God so we have a fruitful life, and uh, I want to wrap this up here in just a couple minutes. But in John chapter 15, Jesus said this, and this is the last of the great I am statements if you study John. I talked two months ago about I am the way, the truth, and the life, and we talked about he's the shepherd and the resurrection and all these things, the light of the world. But here he says, I am the vine, John 15, 5. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bear, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And of course, you, you know the verse in Galatians 5, 22 about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. There's other fruit, fruit that people who follow Christ because of your work, fruit in the ministry, fruit of service. But you, and there's so many more, but if you want to be truly fruitful for God, you need to abide in the vine. You need to be connected. Well, the last thing in this list in your, in your bulletin this morning is this. Trust is an act of worship. And we go clear back to the first verse here. Or it's actually in the second verse, but it's the second line. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. You know, through the sickness of my father, I lost track of some things. And I never even realized this until I was studying this psalm. But you know, trust is an act of worship. And sometimes it's all that you have. Sometimes in the midst of your sorrow or your, your difficulty or your sickness, maybe this is all you have. I know there are people here who who are facing things, they've gone through cancer, or they've lost a loved one, or they're in a terminal health crisis themselves, or they're dealing with failure in their life, or a broken relationship, or financial ruin, or the loss of a job. Think about that response. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. It's quite a thought as an act of worship. One that I failed deeply because when I watched my dad, if I would have just said, oh my God, this is killing me, but I'm going to trust in you. Worship. Value in relationship. In fact, you might find the greatest act of worship that you ever experience is just crying out, oh my God, I trust in you. I don't know what else to do. David did that. The king, a man after God's own heart, placing the confidence in him that he's in control no matter what. I'd invite you to join me in that kind of worship if you're in that situation this morning. Let's pray together. God, we don't always know how to bring ourselves to you or 
what to say. Pray that you would lead us, that we would seek you, that we would value the relationship that you paid so dearly for. Help us to even see that part of trusting is that it's worship. So help us to worship you by trusting in you, giving up our own agenda, our own goals, and trusting that you value the relationship with us. Pray that it would be true in everybody's heart here today. In Jesus' name.